Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. If you'll take your Bible and turn to Matthew 6, that's where we're going to be today. Matthew chapter 6. We're in a new series called Our King and His Prayers, and our goal for this new series is for our King, Jesus to teach us to pray. And that's what he's doing here in verse 9. He says, pray then like this. He's teaching us how to pray. And then what follows is a very, very familiar passage uh, that many of us know as the Lord's Prayer or maybe the model prayer. Now, the biggest problem we're going to face as we walk through this passage over the next several weeks is how familiar it is. That's going to be the biggest problem as we walk through this. This prayer is all too familiar. And what happens when things are familiar is we get so used to what we're seeing that we don't see it anymore. Think about how you go to work or to school or to the grocery store. Uh, you take that same route. You're, you're like on autopilot. You're not seeing anything new. You, maybe you're listening to a podcast, but you're not like zoned in on what's new. Or maybe think about that box that got put somewhere in your house a couple of weeks ago, and now it's furniture, you know? It just gets left there, and then it becomes part of the, part of the landscape. That's kind of how we, we get used to what's familiar, and unless we intentionally slow down, we don't see what's there anymore. And so my hope is that we, as a people, will slow down and see some incredibly beautiful things in this passage over the next several weeks, that we would see just beautiful things in a fresh way. And in order to maybe take a significant step toward that, um, rather than me read the passage, I'm going to ask us all to read the passage together as we recite together what's called the Lord's Prayer. And uh, you can see that on the screen in just a moment. Read this with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray together. Father God, we uh, we come to you now and we ask that you would show us wonderful things in your word today. Lord, I pray that you would hallow your name in our hearts. That you would cause your name to be revered that you would cause your name to be honored, that you would cause your name to be seen as holy in our hearts today as we gather around your word. Lord, we ask this. We, we know that you, you love to do this. We know that you love to say yes to this prayer. And so we ask, trusting your character, trusting your goodness, uh, trusting your power to work through all the things going on in our hearts right now, And so, Lord, we ask that you would show us how holy and great your name is today. Help us, meet with us, change us. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. Now, this passage is known as the Lord's Prayer, though Jesus is not praying it. Uh, The Lord's Prayer might be better a better reference for John 17, where Jesus is actually praying. This is more specifically known as the model prayer because Jesus is giving us a model to pray. Uh, And it shows up here in Matthew 6 as well as in uh, Luke 11. So this is a model, not a mantra. 
Okay, this is not something we should pray over and over, though it's not wrong to pray this. Like, if you, if you enjoy reciting this to remind you of some things, that's not wrong, but this is a model. He says, pray like this, not pray exactly this. Okay? Um, and again, we, we see this, this model prayer show up in Matthew 6 as well as Ma- uh, Luke 11. Now, this prayer can be broken into two sections. Uh, who we're praying to, and that's in the first part of verse 9. He says, our Father in heaven. And then there are five petitions that follow. Uh, we pray for God's name to be hallowed or revered. We pray for God's kingdom to come on earth. We pray for God to give us daily provision. We pray for God to grant forgiveness, both received and extended And then we pray for protection from temptation. This is what we pray for. Now today we're going to look at the first part of the model prayer, and that is who we are praying to. We're looking at our audience, and the audience of our prayer in verse 9 is our Father in heaven. Now it's really important that we understand our audience because what we think about who we pray to determines how we pray. What we think about who we pray to determines how we pray. Now, we've known this instinctively since we were very little. You knew that if you were in a room with your grandparents and your parents, you knew who to ask to get what you wanted. Or if you're just around your mom and dad, like you know which one's the easy yes. You know that, like you, you knew that instinctively as a little kid. And what you thought about the person you were asking determined how you, pray, how you would ask. It's the same with prayer. What we think about the person we're praying to determines how we pray. And so one of my favorite quotes by A.W. Tozer gripped me almost 30 years ago. It's going to be on the screen. He writes this in his book called The Knowledge of the Holy. He says this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds, what we think when we think about God, who we're praying to, is the most important thing about us. And today here in the model prayer, we're going to know that because what we think about who we pray to determines how we pray. And so Jesus begins the prayer with our audience, and our audience This is going to have two parts, our heavenly father and his holy name. This is our audience as we pray. Let's start with our heavenly father. He says in verse nine, our father in heaven. Now we can be so familiar with this passage that that first, those first two words completely lose the punch they would have had to Jesus' original audience. Uh, scholars tell us that there is no reference in all of Jewish literature prior to or during this time that taught people to pray personally to God as their father. This was a revolutionary moment where Jesus says, pray like this, and he tells them to pray our father. That word father in Greek is pater. Uh, in uh, Aramaic, it's Abba. That word shows up again in Romans 8, where it says that his spirit cries out, Abba, father. It's a familiar word. It's a family word. It means dad or daddy. It's a very personal, intimate word that he calls us to pray. He calls us to pray, father. He says, our father in heaven. So let's break that down a minute. Let's start with that word, our. Notice he says, our, not my. This has uh, vertical implications. 
This word our contains all those who have trusted Christ as their Savior. Those who have trusted Christ as their Savior have God as their Father. We, and there's this vertical dimension where God makes us part of his family. God our Father loved us so much that he sent Jesus our brother so that we might, who would live, die, and rise again so that we might be forgiven and adopted into his family. That's who our is. There's a vertical dimension. And then there's a horizontal dimension to our. Our means we are part of the family of God. The church is not a social circle. The church is not a a country club. The church is not something that you're just a part of. The church is to be a family, the people of God. And so when he says our, there's this vertical dimension where God is our father and our horizontal dimension where we are brothers and sisters together in the family of God. And then he says, our father. Again, this was a familiar word. This was a familiar word. We are adopted children and God is our adopted father. At great cost to himself, he makes us part of his family. That's how much he loves us. But what we think about who we pray to affects how we pray. So we need to know some things about this father. And Matthew uses this word a pretty good bit throughout his gospel. So I want us to look at a few things he tells us. Now in chapter 6, he's already said that the Father sees us in secret and meets with us, that he rewards those who seek him, that he knows what we need before we ask. So we know those things about God the Father. Let's look at some more of what Matthew says. And the second thing is he gives good gifts. In Matthew 7, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It says, If you then who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. So he's talking about regular earthly dads, like, and earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children. How much more will your father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Now, we are rightly concerned about all this name it, claim it, prosperity nonsense where I just pray and God blesses me and gives me what I want. That's not what this is saying. But we don't need to be so uh, on guard against that that we lose this verse. And this verse says, our father loves to give good gifts. How much more, it says. Our father in heaven's not stingy, is what Jesus is trying to say here. Over in Matthew 11, we learn that our father loves to reveal truth to children. He says in Matthew eleven twenty five, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So Jesus is interacting with these, uh, the scribes and Pharisees, and they're the wise and understanding. They think they know, they, they think they have God figured out. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You, you, you hide the truth from people like that. But, but little children, little children who are humble, who know they need you, it's your gracious will to reveal truth. So what, what this is saying is if we approach God's word as if we know everything, God kind of has a stiff arm to us, but if we approach it with an open heart and an open mind and we're asking God to reveal his truth to us, it's his gracious will to reveal to people who humble themselves and seek him in his word. Third thing we can see in Matthew, and this is another in Matthew 26, it says, and going a little farther, he, that's Jesus, fell on his face and prayed. Now this is the night before he is betrayed. He's in the garden of Gethsemane with his his disciples He's crying out to God the Father, and he says this, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. 
Now, this is perhaps the most mysterious moment in all of human history. God the Son is praying to God the Father and saying to him, if it's possible that our eternal plan could be changed, if it's possible that I would not have to experience the cup of your wrath and the coming events of this weekend, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And then he quickly says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. But what I want us to see here is God the Father says no to Jesus so he can say yes to you. Jesus says, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. If it's possible, let me not experience what's coming. God says no to that prayer so that you and I can be forgiven and made part of his family. That's what our father is like. And so when we come to our Father and we pray to Him, we don't have to earn something from Him. He's already given us the great riches of His love in Jesus. And so we pray to our Father. But He's not just our Father. He's our Father in heaven. He's our Father in heaven. Now, this is not, uh, this is not about His location. It's about His authority. And as unfamiliar as the idea of God as Father would have appeared to them, God in heaven would have been very, very familiar to them. Throughout the whole Old Testament, they taught, uh, the whole Old Testament speaks of God as ruling and reigning from heaven. Uh, Psalm 11 says, the Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven. Psalm 115 says, our God is in the heavens, he does all that he pleases. And so when Jesus says he's our Father, yes, but he's our Father who's in heaven. So he rules and he reigns. He's sovereign, he's, he's king, and we are his kids. He's our father who is in heaven. And so Jesus tells us to pray to God as our father. And that, that reminds us that he's tender and loving, but he's in heaven, so he's tough and he's ruling. And so these two together are meant to give us a great hope as we pray. The hope that we're talking to one who rules and reigns, so there's no problem he can't handle. And hope that we pray to our Father who gives access to his children. He's king, and we are his kids. And we get to call him daddy. We have that kind of access to that kind of father. And it's important that we remember that because what we think about who we pray to determines the way we pray. Now, next, we have his holy name. Look at verse 9. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, this is actually the first petition or request that we are, that we are instructed to make in this model prayer. And it's a prayer that God's name would be revered, that God's name would be seen as holy, as different, as other, as special, and it's a prayer that that would be that that's how God's name would be seen. The prayer is not that that's how God's name would be. God's name is already and has always been holy. So what we're praying here is that God's name would be seen in this way. Now, when we when the Bible talks about God's name, it's not talking about his call sign. It's talking about his character. Okay? 
I remember when we had our kids, we were really, really intentional about the names we wanted to give to our kids. We, we thought about, okay, does it rhyme with anything that can be made fun of in middle school? Uh, do their initials spell anything that, you know, they could be made? I mean, we were, we were and then uh, my wife had been an elementary teacher. So she was like, do, does any of my bad kids have names like that? Like we, one of the names I love, she said, nope, I had one of those, can't do that. Um, so we were really intentional about the names we picked to give our kids because in the Bible, like name is not just a call sign. It's about character. In fact, in in Exodus 33, when Moses comes to God and says, God, show me your glory. What Moses is asking is, show me the essence of who you are. Show me your character is what he's asking for. And God's response is really interesting. He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Now that's interesting alone. But then he says, and will proclaim before you my name. So Moses says, show me who you are. God says, I'm going to tell you my name because name is not just a call sign. It communicates character. And in Isaiah 6, we get a glimpse of his character. What we read is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Now, anytime Hebrew, the Hebrew language piles up words three times, it's saying this, there's no way, the language is saying there's no way I can say this more. Like it's the mostest of the mostest. That's what it's saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. It's talking about God's character. He is holy. And holiness is hard to explain. Think about how you would explain holiness. It's, it's, it's as hard to explain as being at the Grand Canyon. Like, how do you explain that? It's as hard to explain as, as being at the birth of your child. Like, how do you explain that feeling to someone? Or the moment you think, I think I want to marry this person. It's hard to explain that. Or the moment when you hit a baseball and you know it's going out. Like, you, you hit the ball just right and it's gone. You can feel it from the moment you hit the bat. It's hard to explain. God's holiness is hard to explain. Here's what Tozer says about his holiness. He says this, God's holiness is not simply the best we know infinitely bettered. I think that's how we think about holiness, that it's whatever the best is and infinitely more, but that's not what God's holiness is. He says, we know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unattainable. He says the the natural man is blind to it. He may fear God's power and admire his wisdom, but his holiness he cannot even imagine. Then he says only the spirit of the Holy One can impart to the human spirit the knowledge of the holy. And that's why we pray, hallowed be your name. We're praying for God to do something that is, impart to the human spirit the knowledge of the holy. We're praying for God to do something that only God can do. That's to hallow his name. Only God can take a heart that doesn't hallow his name and change it into a heart that does. And so we're not praying, very important, we're not praying that something would be true about God. We're praying that something would be true about how people view God that they would see his character as holy, that they would revere his name as worthy of trust. 
And so we pray this for people who are close to us, for friends and, and family. We pray this for people who are around us, like neighbors and coworkers, people maybe that we don't yet know. We pray that, that God would hallow his name in us, in people close to us, and in people that are further away. But we pray that God would impart to us some, some knowledge of his holiness so that we would see his name and his character as something to be revered, something to be esteemed, something to be adored. So Jesus says, pray then like this. Pray to our Father who loves us, who's in heaven, who's, who's our Father who's tender, who rules and reigns as, as king. He says, pray to God that his name would be hallowed. And so how do we apply this? Uh, really just one thing this week, and that's this. The audience of our prayer causes adoration and calms anxiety. The audience of our prayer causes adoration and calms anxiety. That's another way of saying what we think about who we pray to determines how we pray. The audience, our Father in heaven, that causes adoration. When we think about this reality that we pray to our Father, who at great cost to himself made a way for us to be adopted into his family. This God who loves us, who knows what we need, who loves to give good gifts, who said no to Jesus so he could say yes to us, we, we pray to this Father who's in heaven, who rules and reigns. Now, he's, he's not aloof. He's not like out of touch, but he rules and reigns. He's the king of the world, and we are his kids. That's our audience. And that should cause adoration. It should cause us to adore him. That he would love us that much. That he would be that strong. That, that we could bring anything we wanted to him. It should cause adoration. And yet so often we can remember that God's our father like we remember the way to the grocery store. And it loses, the familiarity causes us to lose all the amazement and adoration. But God is our father. He's in heaven. He's king of the world and we're his kids. That should cause adoration. It should also calm anxiety. It should also calm anxiety. When we realize that our Father is in heaven and we get to pray to our Father who loves us, who is in heaven, who rules and reigns, when we realize we get to pray to him, it should calm our anxiety. Now listen, I'm not speaking medically. Like There are, uh, there are certainly physical realities that are going on in people's lives where, uh, where simply praying it out is not going to be all that they need to do in this. Okay? So I'm not trying to lessen your experience. I'm certainly not trying to talk down or, or over-spiritualize your experience. And at the same time, 
when we are anxious, the Bible's command to us is to bring that to God. That's the Bible's command. And the God we're bringing it to is a Father who loves us, who rules and reigns in heaven. Wednesday night in our community group, we were talking about this, this whole deal. And one of, the, one of the people said, one of the people in our group said, you know, uh, when I was growing up, I, it was really hard for me to think that I could bring small things to God because I, I just felt like God had bigger things to do. And I just felt weird bringing small things. And she said, and then I had kids and I just know how much I love when they bring their small problems to me. And I thought, really? You enjoy that? Like, that was kind of my response. Um, <laughs> And, and we, were, we were talking that out in our group, and she said, um, that's what she said. She said, I, I just love when my kids bring even their smallest thing to me. And it reminded me of what's true about God. In Philippians 4, it says, do not be anxious about anything. Maybe you would say, too late. I'm anxious. Well, here's the deal. The presence of the command assumes the problem. So you're not alone in being anxious. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. It doesn't say in some things. It doesn't say in a few things. In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There's no problem you have that's too big. There's no problem you have that's too small. Our Father who is in heaven listens and says, bring all your trouble to me. In everything, he says. In everything. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. Through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And he's, he's good enough and big enough and strong enough to work out our requests. And if your request is not what you need, he's wise enough to know that and able to say no. But just bring your request. You don't have to worry that you'll pray wrong and mess up your life. God, God's not a genie. Like he, he hears your prayer and then gives you what he knows you need. But he's our father who's in heaven. And that reality of our audience should cause us, should cause adoration in our hearts. And it should calm our anxiety. So, if knowing our audience causes adoration and calms our anxiety then perhaps the person we need to pray the first petition for most is ourselves. That God's name would be hallowed in our hearts and minds. That that an awareness that God's character would be esteemed, that God's character would be known, that God's character would be trusted. Perhaps that's something we should pray for our lives. Certainly, certainly for others, certainly for people closest to us and people who are further away specifically. But what we need to know, what we need is for God to hallow his name in our hearts so we see him as he is. Because what you think about who you pray to will determine how you pray. And so we need to see that he's our father in heaven. He's the king and we're his kids. Can you just just fathom the access we have to God the Father? He's strong and powerful. He can handle whatever it is you're facing. He's not intimidated. 
He's not worried. He's not overwhelmed. And he welcomes you. Bring, bring all your trouble, he says. In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Everything. And he's never overwhelmed. He's never intimidated. He's never worried. We need his name. We need his character. We need who he is to be hallowed, to be uh, revered in our hearts so that we will pray to him rightly. He's our Father in heaven. Lord, would you hallow your name in our hearts? Lord, show us your character. Show us who you are. Show us how much you love us. Show us how strong you are. Help us see that, Lord. Would you set your character apart in our hearts? Lord, all the, all the times that we believe things about you that are not true, would you purify those, uh, take those out of our hearts and minds? Help, help what we think about you to be lined up with your word so that we might pray rightly, so that we might adore you and worship, so that we might uh, bring all of our cares to you and in everything, in everything, that we would make our requests known to you. Lord, would you, would you show us who you are so that we would pray? We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.